Welcome to the Wander Learn Show. I'm your host, Francis Tapon. In this episode, I talk to Eric Gilbertson, who is a man who is trying to climb the tallest mountain of every country in the world. He is two-thirds of the way there. He climbed K2, which is arguably the hardest mountain of all, although he tells me that Kyrgyzstan has one that's arguably harder. And he just went up Everest a few weeks ago and was turned back. He was trying to do it without oxygen. He was just 300 meters from the summit and had to turn around. This is definitely a fascinating conversation, and I look forward to talking to Eric throughout his multi-year journey to accomplish this crazy goal. This episode is brought to you by my patrons at patreon.com slash ftapon. Become a patron, get some rewards. Thank you so much. Welcome to the Wonder Learn Show. I'm your host, Francis Tapon. I'm here with Eric Gilbertson, who is climbing, or at least on the road, to climb the tallest peak of every single country. Welcome, Eric. Thanks. So tell me about this story. Like, every Start with the first thing, like, what's a country? <laughs> uh, different people have different definitions, but I go by the United Nations. So there's 193 UN members, and there's two non-member observer states, the Holy See and uh, Palestine. So that's 195. So that covers every piece of land on Earth except Antarctica. So then I put Antarctica in there too. So every piece of land is covered. So 196 that I use. But there's something that's very interesting the way you do it in the sense that you pick the tallest peak of the country so most people, when they think of the UK, they think of Ben Nevis, which is in Scotland. But you actually pick uh, South Georgia Island in the Atlantic Ocean, correct? Yeah. So I include any land that any like overseas territories, any land that the country owns, excluding foreign embassies. So UK has a bunch of they own like South Georgia and some other islands. So the highest point of land on any land owned by the UK is Mount Paget on South Georgia. And so similar, like Denmark owns Greenland. So the high point of Denmark would be Gambjornfjelda in Greenland. So it makes it a little bit harder than climbing the mainland high point. But if you don't do that, it's, it seems a little more rigorous to me. Every piece of land is part of a country in that definition. Right, exactly. No, no land is, is, is free, except for maybe the Sentinel Island. Wait, where is that? I haven't heard of that one. Oh, Sentinel Island is a tiny island off the coast of India. Luckily for you, it doesn't have a high point because every single person who's ever gone there has been killed. <laughs> there's oh, a... is that the one where India, uh, there's like a, a native tribe and they don't want a, foreigners to co- contact them? Oh, okay. I think I've heard of that. <laughs> yeah, so thank God for you. It's not the tallest point of India. <laughs> well, I did get that one uh, last month or well, a couple weeks ago, Kanchenjunga. In the high point. Okay, great. All right. And so the first thing that a lot of people might think of is Mount Everest. And some people, if they're more sophisticated, will think of K2. Go ahead and tell us that story. Yeah, I was on Everest this spring. I didn't quite get to the top. I was trying it without oxygen, which makes it like 10 times harder. No oxygen, no Sherpas carrying my stuff. So I got just below the South Summit, and that was as high as I could make it. South Summit, for those who don't know, is very, very, very close to the top. I mean, you're right below the Hillary step, if I'm correct. Uh, yeah, I was at about 8,500 meters. 
So a couple hundred meters. Yeah, the problem was I didn't get enough rotations. Rotations are you tag a to you tag a high elevation and go sleep low, and you go tag a higher elevation and sleep low, and that helps you acclimate. I didn't I didn't get enough rotations, but I tried to try it. I decided I tried anyway. Didn't quite work though. Okay, so tell us where you went to do these rotations. Did you didn't you go climb another peak? We hiked up to base camp, which is like fifty three hundred meters. And my plan was to do rotations up on the route so I could double carry my gear. I have to do things a little differently because I don't have, didn't have any Sherpas carrying stuff for me. I was just doing it on my own. But they had the ice fall closed uh, because of an accident for a couple weeks. So instead, we climbed the 6,000-meter peak Labusha East beforehand. It was kind of near base camp, like a day away. And, and this the was with your brother? Yeah, my, my brother and two friends. Okay, so there's four of you in total. Yeah. Now, of all the four of you, were you all going without oxygen? No, just me. I mean, of like a thousand people that go up Everest, there's only four that I know of that were doing what I did with no oxygen, no Sherpa, just kind of uh, going on your own. Yeah, it was me, so, Sillard from Hungary, Mateo from Colombia, Sajid from Pakistan, and Roland. Uh, so me and four other guys. And what does the trip set you back? Because you still have to pay the permit fees, which are at least $10,000 minimum. Yeah, the permit's like 11000 Then I had to pay for uh, tri- uh, like getting my gear up to base camp and then food and tent in base camp and then permission to use the fix ropes. But I'm still paying less than half of what anyone else pays. That's the main You're reason paying- to do it, to save a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also, I think uh, bragging rights to some extent. I mean, you're going up, as uh, Reinhold Messer said, with fair means. Yeah, oxygen makes it 10 times easier, I've discovered. So I ended up, the comp- the logistics company I was with, they kind of forced me. They said, you you can't do Kanchenjunga unless you use oxygen. Because they had, they actually, so after Everest, I was planning to do Kanchenjunga, the India high point. It's the third highest mountain in the world. So I would capitalize on my acclimation and just do that quickly. And I, I got to 8,500 on Everest and Kanchenjunga is 8,500. So I could certainly get up there. But there were two active rescues going on. One climber, the Hungarian guy, he was going solo no two on Everest. And that day, May 24th, he didn't come down. So they were sending a rescue for him. There was also another solo no two climber on Kanchenjunga that same day who didn't return. So they were sending a rescue for him. So they didn't want me, another solo no to oxygen climber going up there. So they said, okay, you have to go with oxygen and Sherpa. So I said, okay. I mean, that's the only way. So I did Kanchenjunga with oxygen. But man, okay. that's 10 times easier. It's like a totally <laughs> different ball game. Right. <laughs> what a concept. Being able to breathe makes a difference. Who would have known? <laughs> I mean, it's more than, it, it like gives you energy. Like every and warmth step. too. Warmth. Exactly. That slowed me down. Every 10 minutes on Everest Summit Push, I was stopping to warm up my fingers and my toes. That yeah. basically doubled the time. Kanchenjunga, yeah. I could go five hours, didn't have to eat, didn't have to stop to rest, didn't have to warm anything up. It's just amazing. Total game yeah. changer. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it, it makes you really respect uh, people like Reinhold Messner and others who have gone up Everest without oxygen. But I think you certainly could have done it just had you just been able to go Kachanjunga first, maybe use that as your acclimatizing thing, and then gone to Everest. Yeah, it's a little risky, though, because for Everest, they can 
close the ice fall whenever they want. So this year, May 25th, I think it was, they're like, we're pulling the ladders, ice falls closed. You can't summit after that. But Kanchenjunga, there's nothing like that. You can go whenever. So, and the windows are kind of the same. So if, if Kanchenjunga takes a little longer than expected and you can only get to Everest like May 23rd or something, not enough time. They'll pull the ladders. So it kind of makes sense to prioritize Everest. Also, it's the more expensive peak. Right, but why not do some other mountain that is uh, pretty high, around 8,000 meters or more, like, and then use that as your acclimatizing hike? Well, mainly for cost for this trip. I mean, the permits are expensive, and it'd probably add like ten thousand dollars. But I even think that's, sorry, even even a, a mountain like I, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's Chou'ul or something like that. It's it's yeah, Chou'ul permit uh, China. Uh, it was actually closed this spring, so that wasn't an option. From I mean, oh, Kristen okay. Harrell got a permit. That's a really special situation. Not not any average person could do that. Because that's, that's like fourteen thousand. That's four. That's one of the fourteen thousand fourteen eight thousand meter peaks. One of the shortest ones and one of the easiest ones, according to my research. Yeah, and in fact, I think that's the way to uh, get an. I think that's the best way to get a no to ascent of Everest. The problem with acclimating on Everest, it's first of all, you're basically guaranteed to get sick. There's like two thousand people in base camp. There's hundreds of trekkers coming in every day. Basically, everyone I knew got sick this year, and I got sick and lost two weeks, and that's, I think, allow, didn't allow me to get the rotations. Also, mm-hmm. on Everest, they can close the ice fall whenever they want. They had it closed until mid-April, so you, we couldn't go up. And then they closed but Eric, it up. And... why not just do the North Face? So that was closed this spring. They haven't opened oh. it yet. And also, my friends have told, in China have told me they don't allow no two ascents on the North, Northeast Ridge. Oh, that okay. might be a new development. Oh, okay. Yeah, that would be a, a deal breaker. Um, now, you did go without oxygen up K2, which is a tougher mountain in many ways, aside from the fact that it's, I think, what, 300 meters or about 1,000 feet shorter than Everest, roughly? Yeah, like 240 meters shorter. Yeah, 240 so meters. Oh, close. Give me... They're really close. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's much technically a much harder mountain. You've got the bottleneck and other challenges that you face. It's so much steeper. Um, it's, and to do that without oxygen is just blows my mind. Uh, tell us about that experience. Yeah, that one, my friend Andreas and I, we did without oxygen or Sherpas also. And we, I was feeling totally fine on the top. And I think it was because we did more acclimation rotations. We were able to. So we climbed Broad Peak first. It's just a little over 8,000. And we actually kind of summited, almost summited twice because the first time we turned around with bad weather. So we basically went to 8,000 twice and then we moved to K2. And so then we were really well acclimated. And we got stuck in a storm at Camp 3 for like three days up there. That was unexpected. So we didn't really have... Uh, enough food and we actually didn't bring a tent or sleeping bag up there because we were going to try to do fast and light but we got stuck in a storm we're going to go down but we found this abandoned tent so we just kind of shivered in there a couple nights without sleeping bags and right altitude suppresses hunger so we didn't really need as much food right so it was kind of extreme but we were very well acclimated so we didn't have any trouble getting up 
to the summit on that one. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did you find a sleeping bag and use and share it or somehow or something like that? Well, no? one, the first night we coordinated with two of our friends. They had left their tent up there and we were shifted by a day. So the first night we stayed in their tent and we had one sleeping bag that we shared. But then they came up and, and we were just going to go down and bail and go back to base camp. But a Sherpa told us this one tent was abandoned. And it wasn't very good because half of the underside of the tent was falling off of this like cliff. So there's oh, so only you get half some of it. Co- and you had cold air coming up through it, uh, I imagine. Or well, no? yeah, that wasn't good. But also we couldn't both sleep like this. We had to sleep like on our sides Sideways. to fit. On your, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we didn't really get too much sleep. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, crazy. Was it, uh, what surprised you about K2? The biggest danger I, I hadn't known about in advance was the rock fall. So below camp two, it's really dangerous. There's a lot of loose rock. If there's any climber going down and they're not super careful, they can dislodge one. And one that was like grapefruit size hit me in the leg. And I thought I'd have to bail. But I limped up to camp one and it, it hit me in the muscle, not the bone. So it, luckily it improved over time. But we waited until there was a, like 150 people went up in the first weather window and we waited for them to all clear out. That'd be super dangerous with Rockfall. Mm. When we went, there was only one party above us, but they were still kicking down rocks. So it was still kind of dangerous. How many people actually got incapacitated or had to quit their hike because of a Rockfall in K2 oh, when K2? you were there? Approximately like five, 10? Uh, yeah, probably five or 10. I didn't, yeah. they don't all get reported. Like one of my friends right. got hit and moved down. I got hit. The group of 150, I didn't really talk to anyone in that group. I'm sure there okay. were problems there. Right, right, right. Um, How much did it cost, K2? I really just paid for the permit was like $2,000. Okay, so, so it's not that bad for, compared to Everest. Wow. It's oh yeah, cheaper. no way. I think they've increased it now, but I paid for broad. The broad permit was like, 2000 and then it was like a couple thousand for the logistics company to bring our gear in you have to hike everything in in nepal you can't take a helicopters in like in or in pakistan you have to hike everything in not like in nepal they just helicopter stuff in mm-hmm. so total what, broad plus k2 is maybe five or six thousand and what yes. about kachanjanga in india if you just pay for the permit and logistics it's like ten thousand okay and how far are you along on your quest? You've got 193, or do you call 195 countries? What do you say? Uh, then if you include Antarctica, 196. Right. 196. Like a bonus okay. point. So, I'm like two-thirds done. Which is remarkable, especially since you knocked off K2. Um, Everest is within grasp. What's your plan for Everest? Uh, I'd like to return and try without oxygen. I mean, I think the idea, the idea would be acclimate on a different peak beforehand. And then but I would what, get hold on. base camp. Eric, why try without oxygen? If let's say you've kind of already done Kachanjanga with oxygen, you know, why not just, you know, you're not trying to be a complete purist, obviously, regarding oxygen. Why not just say, okay, well, I'm just going to do oxygen. I know it's expensive to, to buy oxygen too. How much does it cost? They said if I wanted to have a Sherpa with me with oxygen, it'd be an extra like $12,000. So it's pretty okay. significant. Uh, yeah, yeah. I is. mean, one option would be to have a Sherpa hike with me with oxygen. And then if I need it, then I use it. 
Right. I, I don't right. know. But then you still got to, you got to still pay the 12,000 either way. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I mm-hmm. guess one consideration is failing again and going back a third time would be more expensive than going with oxygen. I don't think you're a complete purist. Obviously you would like to go without oxygen because of the challenge and because of the you know sense of accomplishment, but you're not obviously a purist. Had you been a purist, you would have said no in India. You would have said, no, I'm not going to go. Well, I guess I'm also a cheapskate because if I had said no, I would have lost like $15,000 that I invested already in permits mm. and everything. Right. And so going with oxygen there was the only way to get it. Right. But okay, I, what if you I, what if you get a big sponsor like North Face who listens to this podcast and say, we want to sponsor that Eric guy. And then they give you like a big budget of 100 grand. What would you do then? I guess then I could try multiple times without it, but maybe with a Sherpa mm. accompanying. I mean, I hmm. felt pretty, it felt kind of wrong with the oxygen on Kanchenjunga, like I was a cyclist on like taking some drugs or something. <laughs> it's just so different. It's like someone just like puts a motor on me and I can go without getting tired. It's just totally yeah. different experience. It's like going up a peak that's 1000 meters and you're like, oh, this is easy. <laughs> Yeah, people say that it lowers the apparent altitude, but it's way more than that. It maybe it does that, but it also like injects energy in you, like puts a motor in you, uh, and heats you up, like we talked about too. And it heats you up, so you can save all kinds of time. It's like yeah, ten times not, easier. No, not only that, but you, not only heats you up, but also that allows you to maybe take fewer clothes too, or you know, like that decreases your weight. You know, you don't exactly. have to bring the ultra huge parka that goes down to negative. 50 right. <laughs> versus that's exactly so i was going up from base camp and the sherpas were like why are you taking so many clothes so i had worn every single layer and my downsuit over all that on everest on summit push and i was still a little bit cold and then kind of younger like yeah no just base layer underneath and then the downsuit totally fine saved a lot of weight totally uh when when was you, when were you at your coldest was it on k2 or somewhere else k2 was probably the coldest uh, just before sunrise, like every 10 minutes or so, my fingers and, and toes are getting numb. I tried some improvements on Everest, like wearing over boots w- over my 8,000 meter boots, plus battery heated socks. And then the gloves, I had battery heated liners and uh, like another glove on over mitt. But the problem is the Everest season is earlier in May instead of July. So it was like 10 degrees Fahrenheit colder. All right. So... Still got cold there. Yeah, uh, I believe it. And the altitude is incredible and the wind whipping is really high. It almost always has that kind of lenticular cloud or whatever that thing, that plume that goes off the top. I imagine you saw that so often, right? Yeah. And I also kind of chose a slightly more marginal weather day to go because I kind of need to avoid crowds without oxygen. So if I'm standing in a line for an hour not moving, then I get a lot colder without oxygen. So I I was assuming that the crowds would go on the slightly better days. So indeed, the day I ended up moving up, it was great. There was hardly any people. And the weather was workable. Right. I think one issue, though, the first, my first attempt, I thought the 21st was going to be good weather. And so I moved to Camp 4, South Call. And then at midnight and 1 a.m., it was just howling wind, too windy. So I had to spend an extra day at Camp 4 on the South Call. And so that's like 8,000 meters without oxygen. So by the time I got to my high point, I'd been above 8,000 meters for like 40 hours. And I can't sleep at 8,000 meters. Can't breathe as much without oxygen. So I had to pull two all-nighters. So that might have affected me 
uh, getting like symptoms of haste at 8,500 meters. Right. I'm not and sure haste exactly. is, is, is high altitude cerebral edema for those who don't know. It's um, really debilitating to try to sleep in the dead zone. I think it's basically almost impossible. <laughs> Few people do it <laughs> unless you have oxygen. Yeah. I could sleep at 7,600 meters on K2. Maybe I was better acclimated. But yeah, 8,000 on Everest, I couldn't fall asleep. Right. Because you're just breathing so hard and heavy and you're cold, right? Yeah. What I found was my respiration rate starts going down when I start to fall asleep. But then I am almost fall asleep, but the respiration's too low. I'm not getting enough oxygen and I wake up gasping. Got it. And I was All doing right. that for hours. It just didn't work. So That's the key, crazy. So the strategy is move like camp two to camp four, just rest a couple hours and keep going up. Minimize time in the death zone. And that ends this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel technology and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we've talked about, go to wanderlearn.com and click on this episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember F Tapon. That's my first initial and my last name. F Tapon is always my social media username. My website is ftapon.com. Do you want to leave me an anonymous voicemail where you can make a comment or ask a question? Then go to speakpipe.com slash ftapon. Furthermore, if you'd like to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash ftapon. That's where you can pick up some remarkable rewards for as little as $2 a month. Now, five quick favors. Number one, subscribe to the WanderLearn podcast. Two, download it. Three, share it four, review it, and five, sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. Our theme music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn.